It's the Asian Boxing Podcast, AsianBoxing.info, Scott and Colin with you and Scott. We have so much to talk about, so let's get right into it. Let's start off with Ken Shiro. He was finally back in the ring. It's been a long way. He's not fought in, what was it, 16 months? But he looked really, really, really sharp when uh, he finally got in the ring against Tetsuya Hisada. A bout that was four years in the making. He dominated but had to work. He was never under too much pressure, but he was always needing to work. Hisada wasn't there to roll over. Um, a huge, huge fan support for Hisada, who really showed that at 36 that he's still a top, top fighter. And he really was relentless against a much more talented, smooth, skilled Kenshiro who took a wide decision but had to earn it. Yeah, I think maybe people thought with the age gap being what it was, the elite boxing ability of Kenshiro, not to say Hisada's not a great boxer as well. I, I think people thought, okay, this might be uh, a knockout or a technical knockout, but Hasada just being the man and boxer that he is pushed it to a decision. He did. He got up off a, a second round knockdown. He was wobbled in, I think, round nine or ten. But he just, he's, he's just incredibly tough, an incredibly tough, uh, strong guy. His desire to get revenge over what happened at the end of last year. Um, his performance really was fantastic and it hopefully we see him in another big bout with say Felix Alvarado or a Elwin Soto or Carlos Canizales just one more big bout before he bows out obviously still going strong at the age of 36 incredible for Ken Shiro where does he go now because we we talked about this in a couple previous podcasts where Kyoguchi is the fight to make but Kyoguchi doesn't want to make it so, who's the next dancing partner for Kenshiro? Kenshiro said that he wanted to fight one of the champions. Um, he wants to claim all four titles, and of course, the Kaigushi fight would have been the obvious one. Uh, Elwin Soto is fighting this fighting on May 8th um, on the Sal Canelo undercard. I don't think uh, Kenshiro is going to get either of them. Felix Alvarado is probably the only champion he can tag at the moment, and. I'm not sure that's going to happen. It's He's in an awkward position whereby all the champions are with Dazon. They're all basically in their own little thing without him. So I think his next fight will probably be another hometown defense, possibly against Masamichi Yabuki or the returning Hekibulu who fights in May. Then hopefully, fingers crossed, we finally see some real unification box in the division. Um, but I think it'll be another... Just Standard defense next, and then maybe an Alvarado bout. Would you ever see him coming over to the zone and saying, "Hey, I'm I, I give up. I'm just gonna play this boxing game and to actually get these fights, go over to some streaming service and be able to fight the fighters I want to." Yeah, he's not got any TV commitments. He's essentially a free agent now. Um. So there's nothing stopping him from doing that. I don't think he's against doing that. I just don't think anyone's put the offer to him to come and join the join the designs, the ESVN pluses, or the whatever in the U in the US. Which is a darn shame because if you were to ask me who I would pick to be more marketable, Kyoguchi or Shiro, it's a hundred percent Ken Shiro. I mean, who doesn't love 
the amazing boy. He has personality. You know, he has a big smile. There's so many things that you could do with Kenshiro. To me, he, he might be one of the most marketable Japanese fighters out there. And instead, of course, Kiyoguchi gets the call from, from Eddie and Dazon. But I think, shoot, they need to pick up Shiro as well. Yeah, I think Kiyoguchi makes some better fights. I think his fights are more exciting generally. But Kenshiro just oozes that natural charisma. He has genuine star power, which makes it bizarre that he was very much the away fighter against Isada, where the fans are all there cheering on um, the Osaka local. He has a lot going for him, and it's bizarre that we've not seen Dazon snap him up to try and get him in with Soto or Alvarado. This past weekend in Japan, we also had a a pretty big fight. Um, This was with Daigo Higa at the Bantamweight level. And this was for the WBO Asia Pacific Bantamweight title. But Daigo Higa didn't really look himself. I think, to be honest, he looked himself. I think... um... I don't think he's ever looked natural bantamweight. He looked very good against Yuki Strong Kobayashi in his title win at the end of last year, but he's never looked like a natural bantamweight since his return last year. I don't think he looked good against Jason Buonabora. He didn't look good at all against Suya Satsumi. And Nishida's just been the first naturally bigger guy to make that difference pair. Nishida used his height really well, used his reach really well, used his natural strength well. He neutralized essentially a, a flyweight and made it look relatively easy. Higa's pressure didn't break him. I think um, I think Higa's really, really going to show up on weight going forward. Does he go back down? He's not allowed. That's right. That's right. He's just, he's stuck there. Yeah, unless he wants to leave Japan and perhaps fight in America or uh, Mexico, Philippines, Thailand, whatever. He's essentially stuck at bantamweight and... I think we'll uh, we'll perhaps see him beg the JBC to let him fight at Superflyweight because he's not going to have success at Bantam. Japan, just with their extremely strict rules, Daigo Higa already, uh, he's messed up a couple times, so I think they're going to be pretty strict on him. Yeah, I don't see them reversing the decision. As sad as that sounds, I, I need to make an example of things like that. Um we see other countries basically turn a blind eye to people missing weight, taking drugs, uh, punching after the bell, breaking whatever rules, showing little respect to sport. In Japan, it's very, very stringent. You break the rules, you will be punished. I think we need more of that. We, we do need more of the iron fist coming down upon fighters who, who don't make weight, who get caught with drugs. We need more of that. But at the same time, it would also be nice to see some leniency, some grace from the JBC once in a while. Yeah, the JBC have begun to get a reputation for going a bit over the top. They recently suspended a a promoter for three months for shouting at a weigh-in, uh, which just doesn't make any sense. And then they <laughs> seem to, literally just <laughs> three months suspended. <laughs> You shouted it away, and that's not allowed. Even though none of his fights are on the card, apparently it wasn't threatening language. It's just loud, brocious stuff. And then uh, two days later, they rescinded the suspension after they basically asked, could they review it? Yeah. Come on, guys. You are a fantastic commission. Just get your heads out your asses sometimes. I mean, gosh, if they came over to the States and looked at our way, 
I love how strict that they are and how it probably deters just people from breaking the rules. But I get where it's like, all right, you can be a little bit more lenient. You can loosen it up just a little bit, JBC. Ryosuke Nishida, it's only his fourth fight. And you beat a fighter like Higa. Granted, like you said, he's a lot bigger, 5'7". But in his last fight, he beat Shohei Omori, who was a former title challenger. So this is a Nishida who's only in his fourth fight, relatively young, only 24. And... He's doing some big things. He's fighting some some top competition in just his fourth fight. It's worth that he didn't just beat Omari. He made Omari look like a ranked novice. He got very close to forcing a stoppage in round eight. Had this been a 10-rounder against Omari, he would have stopped him. Um, Omari was running on fumes in round seven, eight. It was a one-sided beatdown that um, he got again took an absolute beating in the final few rounds. The kid is something special, and... Very, very, very few fighters win these sorts of titles. The WBO, Edge Pacific, or the RPBF title in the fourth bout. Fighters like uh, Kose Tanaka. Uh, yeah, that sort of level fighter. Uh, Naya Nui took five fights, I believe, to win his first at the Oriental level. He is that type of prospect. Maybe he needs more seasoning uh, before talking about world title, but he mentioned that he was happy to fight John Real Casemiro next if he got the chance. And yeah, and the future is incredibly bright for him. Wow. Yeah, you're going after the big dogs in Casemiro. <laughs> Say that was your fifth fight for a world title against uh, against Casemiro. Like you said, he probably needs more seasoning, but I love that he has the, the ambition, the drive to want to fight the top fighters at the bantamweight division. And it's exciting because it just seems there's so many prospects, just great guys at the world, at that, that world level right now. And and you, I guess you could add Nishida to that list. I think it's really exciting. We do see a prospect have that sort of ambition. Um, we don't see it that much in the West, but when a fighter's got back-to-back wins over Omari and Higa, what is their next? There is basically world-level fighters and, you know, he hasn't really got too many more steps to take until he gets a world title fight. It's the Asian Boxing Podcast. Now, Scott, we had some good fights this past weekend, but we have a lot of, uh, I guess you could say, crazy news. Um, first, let's start with, on Canelo's card, Elwin Soto's fighting. And we mentioned how stacked the light flyweight division is. Elwin Soto, possibility for Ken Shiro, but that's not going to be the case very soon. Uh, because Elwin Soto's fighting another Japanese fighter on Canelo's card. The wonderful, always entertaining, exciting veteran Katsunari Takayama, who um, American fans will probably remember best for his absolute war with Francisco Rodriguez Jr. Um, I believe that was in like 2014 or 2015. Fight of the year contender, one of the best bouts and... Does one need to make sure that people see that bout before Takeyama Soto? Because that will sell the bout to them. Takeyama, what type of chance does he have against Elwin Soto? Soto's a great boxer, tough, tough kid, uh, obviously a world champ. What type of chance does he have? I might be in the minority, but I think Takeyama actually has a better chance than most have given him. I'd make him the clear underdog, but I think he does have a chance due to the way he fights. 
I think his lateral movement, um, his speed, his in-out aggression will give sort of real problems early on. Um, Soto, to me, is a very good fighter, but someone who hasn't yet developed into a champion. He won the title against Acosta and has defended it twice and not looked particularly great. Um, he needs more experience before he faces like Sakaiguchi and Kenshira. I think it's a good bout for him to get that experience, but I think Takayama will ask a lot of questions of him uh, before ultimately Takayama ends up cut and the referee ends up stopping it. All right, let's get to the Kazuto Ioka story, Scott, because it's making a lot of noise, making a lot of headlines, drugs, drug testing, tattoos, rock and roll. But all this, Scott, over marijuana? Because here in California... Marijuana is not a big deal. It's illegal over here, but they're making a big deal about this over in Japan. Yeah, so we need to probably preface this by mentioning just how much of a no, no, this is in Japan. You can get up to five years in prison plus a fine for um, possession and use of cannabis. Narumi Yukawa, a then amateur boxer, got a three-year suspended sentence when he got caught with some. Not taking it, he got caught in possession, and it was a three-year suspended sentence. Couldn't turn professional and couldn't fight as an amateur during his sentence. So it's incredibly serious in Japan, even though it's, you know, turn a blind eye to here and, you know, becoming legal over there, and it's illegal in Canada. um, Sorry, legal in Canada, legal in Holland. In Japan, it's very serious. So all I'm saying, oh, it's just weed, it's just marijuana. Yeah, it is just marijuana, but it's just marijuana in a country where, as you already mentioned, punishments are serious. Um, what has happened is several components of cannabis have been found in his sample for his bout with Kosei Tanaka, which took place in the last year. Uh, Ayaka looked fantastic. He stopped Tanaka, gave Tanaka his first loss. But those components have flagged against not just the sort of the Japanese law, but also WADA, who ban uh, THC and cannabinoids. Although they do allow CBD, and the suspicion is that this is a CBD violation, which is legal in Japan. It's legal with WADA, but it wouldn't have been flagged if it was CBD, uh, which Hayoka and his team are saying, yeah, uh, it might be CBD. Um, if it is, it's weird that it's flag. The JBC are currently investigating and doing their own investigation under their ethics committee, whilst the police have concluded their investigation, and it seems like the charges, the legal charges are going to be dropped. But the JBC may come down hard on him, especially after the issues with his um, tattoo from the same fight where his tattoos were visible. They have got him in their sights, and it may end up getting messy. The biggest issue, however, and the most confusing, the most stupid, idiotic, is that instead of informing Ayoka that he'd failed the drug test and asked him to come and explain and um, done the B sample for him, the JBC sent the B sample off to the police, and Ayoka wasn't informed that he'd failed the drug test until the police contact him for questioning, which goes against every form of drug testing protocol. So basically, the JBC, they kind of they messed up there in, in the fact that they sent it straight to the police. Yeah, 
again, he messed up big time. It's now almost impossible for them to say that he failed the drug test for um, doping by allegedly like that, even if he has. He's claimed innocence. The police have sort of gone, eh. Um, so what's probably going to happen is the JBC are probably going to tell him not to take it in the future. Um, if he did, um, he's going to say that the JBC are going against him and just bullying him. The Japanese fans are then going to decide either way. Um, the JBC have done drug tests since the 1990s. And this was apparently the first fail or one of the first fails they've had. And it seems like they just didn't know how to react and have completely messed up. So that's how clean Japanese boxers are. Because this was a, an unusual situation where someone fails... Whereas everywhere else, I mean, you got fails left and right. But here in Japan, we're going to freak out because this has never happened before. Oh, my going to call the police. Ioka just challenging. He's, he's a rebel. He loves uh, marijuana. He has a tattoo. We were talking earlier, and you said he follows some rock and roll band. He's like a rebel in the 60s. He's spending a lot of time with um, 1OK Rock and their lead singer. And they recently released a song that was written by Ed Sheeran called Renegades. He <laughs> could have been about Ioka himself. Oh, my gosh. So, Ioka, he's a wild man. I mean, just a wild child. The cows, mons on Japan. Just a wild story because they mess up because it is just an unusual fail you don't get failed drug tests in japan very often uh but ioka being one of the biggest stars of all time they're probably going to be super strict against him just because of who he is in the sport of boxing in japan yeah you've also got that he's devil match with daiga who we've mentioned um is still being punished for a weight fail and over here in the UK, we tend to turn a blind eye to drug tests. Um, the Dillion White situation famously got swept under the carpet. Tyson Fury famously got his situation swept under the carpet. Yeah, um, I don't think that's going to happen here. I think they are going to make an example of him, but they're going to struggle to give him anything more than a telling off. Um, I mean, the crazy thing is, is it's usually performance-enhancing, like steroid-type drugs that we've seen the big stars get caught with a, a guy like Canelo. I mean, the list goes on and on and on, but this is marijuana. And would you say marijuana is performance enhancing? Maybe it relaxes you a little bit. Yeah. If you're not just person, then maybe uh, yeah. one of those weird ones, isn't it? You typically wouldn't think it was, but it could potentially be for certain people in certain conditions. If they perhaps have anxiety or they're stressed, um, on the other hand, Tanaka possibly got beat by a guy who was high, which would be quite embarrassing. Yeah, uh, he's not going to live that one down, is he? Wait till you work your undefeated record to a high guy. <laughs> hey, man, let me knock you up, man. What makes it more embarrassing is that Ayaka probably did it with the munchies if he actually wasn't. Kind of <laughs> so he's made weight, made 115 pounds with the munchies. Yeah, I mean, he had to. He was uh, so severely weight drained that he had to get get his MJ on so that he could eat a bunch of food so he could get back up to weight. 
superhighway. <laughs> oh man, yeah. There's a lot of jokes that you could make with this. This is this is a great story for podcasters like us, but I I just hope it gets cleared up because Ioka. Again, one of the biggest stars of all time in Japanese boxing, arguably as the greatest resume, the first four-weight champ, uh, men's champ, and you don't want any negative publicity coming his way. On the other hand, on a serious matter to this, I think this probably does end his career in Japan. I think he probably goes over to the U.S. and finishes his career, um, potentially with bouts against you and Ankahas. Ramon Gonzalez, Juan Francisco Estrada, Shisuke uh, Sorungasai. I think this may be what finally pushes him out of Japanese boxing and over to the US for good. Yeah, and, and that is sad because you want the Japanese fans to see their star. I mean, at least he got one final uh, brilliant bout against Tanaka where he was able to shine in front of his countrymen. Uh, but that is in some ways sad, although... It's good for us over here in the States because all the great fights that you would want to see Ioka in are over here. Yeah, and potentially also means the Ioka New Age showdown one day down the line would be a little bit better with the good evil sort of tagline that you could run with it as well. The naughty boy getting his comeuppance against the good guy of Japanese boxing. <laughs> yeah, now yeah, no, he has that sparkling good boyish charm, right? Ayaka's the rebel, the renegade. Yeah, it, it sells itself. Rock and roll and drugs, man. Watch out for it. Uh, it's the Asian Boxing Podcast with Scott and Colin. Just a crazy story. Um, speaking of crazy, state of emergency in Japan. And again, um, we know that while their, their pandemic numbers have not been crazy like England or the United States, it is hiking up there right now. And so that's why they've gone into this state of emergency. But Scott, how is that affecting boxing right now in Japan? So four prefectures have gone to state of emergency, including Tokyo and Kyoto and Osaka. So this is saying shows for May 1st, which was headlined by Kazuto Takasako defending his Japanese middleweight title. Um... The May 5th card, which would have had Tomoki Kamida making his return. The May 6th card with Ryota Toyoshima and Yuki Beppu. And the May 13th card with Musashi Mori uh, against Satoshi Shimitsu all being postponed. Um, they're all being pushed back to mid-May at the moment. So now, apart from the Tomoki Kamida belt, that's not had a new date announced. But the cards in Tokyo all been pushed back and as a result we've got major shows in japan on may 19th 20th 21st 22nd 23rd giving a week of really really great action but there is the potential for more delays to come um the state emergency is meant to expire on may 11th but there is a risk it will be extended and further mess with the calendar how do you think this is going to affect the tokyo olympics i think i'll go ahead um, but yeah, it could be no crowd type situation or vaccine funds or, um, it, yeah, it's one that could still potentially be cancelled. I don't think it will be, but that's a potential. Uh, the one thing that's clear is 
Japan need to get on top of it this month if there's going to be uh, going to be fans in any sports event from June onwards. Um, it's been a complete and utter mess. And you compare Japan's numbers. I mean, if you really looked at the numbers, it and you compare it to a lot of the other big countries, it's not that bad. But I understand why there there is a state of emergency. They want to get it under control. Japan, with the the amount of people that they have in their country, and you look, I mean, they're close to the top ten in terms of population. They're eleventh, I believe. Uh, it's not that crazy when you compare it to a lot of other countries, but. Again, I understand why you would just want to make sure you keep it under control because we've seen other countries where it gets out of control and it's just it's not a good thing. Yeah, so at the moment they've had about five hundred eighty thousand talk cases. They're thirty eighth talk case in the world. They've done a really good job overall, but their numbers the past few days have been sort of growing, and there's a risk they could as you said, spiral very quickly. It could become a big issue. You want to put a cap on it early. You want to stop it from growing um, exponentially, of course. And they try to stamp it out quickly. They have given people most of the freedoms for most of this time. Um, mask mandates are there, but for the most part, they've not shut down places. And I don't think that's what they want to do. Even with the state emergencies, they're still allowing people some normality. It's just affecting sports events. It's affecting everyday life in a way that limits things, but not, you must stay indoors. You must not do this. You must not do that. Um, and they probably want to keep that, but they also obviously don't want to cancel the Olympics. They need to get on top of this before it becomes a major, a major issue. I hope those numbers go down. I hope they can get it all under control and, and, just as as a world right now, we uh, we're continuing to fight it, and it's doing so much better um, in a lot of different places. But obviously, in Japan, kind of spiking right now. So we we wish them the best. Uh, Mani Pacquiao back in the news, Scott. And again, it just seems like all these different fighters, young fighters, who can be making great fights with their contemporaries, want to make a fight. With Manny Pacquiao because he's a legend, because he's a money maker. Why don't they just let him ride off into the sunset and enjoy, I don't know, retirement? I know Manny wants to fight, but why can't they just? It seems everyone wants to fight him. All the big fighters, Errol Spence, Terrence Crawford, and now another big fighter, Mikey Garcia. You forgot to mention that Jet Pod leaves off the call out and Conor McGregor wants to fight him. So, Well, Jake Paul, that's the one I want to see. Can we see Jake Paul and Manny Pacquiao? That's about deserving a pay-per-view. Um, I would pay for it. I would 100% pay for it. Come on, Trill. Put this one on. Put on, you know, one that the fans want. Instead, Mikey Garcia in uh, Dubai, I believe. Um, yeah, it's one of those ones that has been spoken about for about a year. And I, I'm not too fussed about it. Pacquiao is now 42. I think he'd still actually beat Mikey Garcia. I don't think Gassi is a natural world to wait for a start, but it's one that I don't really care about, and it's strange. I love Pacquiao's career. I think everyone listening probably loves Pacquiao's career, but he can retire or have one bout at home, do a big bout for the Philippines, but at the moment, it's if he doesn't fight again, it's not a big loss. Um, apparently, big businessmen are putting up money for the bout and all this other thing, but who cares? It, let the guy do his politics. Let the guy come and lead the Philippines. Let the 
and pass on his knowledge in boxing to the next generation and let him walk away with some some health uh, more than anything else. That's the big thing. I mean, if he gets in against a Terrence Crawford or Errol Spence, my fear is that he, he really gets hurt. Now, he's an all-time great. And in his last fight against Keith Thurman, now Keith Thurman was coming back from kind of a, a long layoff, so I understand that it wasn't prime Keith Thurman, but he still beat Keith Thurman. So I, I get why Manny Pacquiao was like, I can still do this. It's not like he, he's old and decrepit. But there comes a point where you kind of have to stop. And it, we've seen it so many countless times with legends who just couldn't get out of the ring. I mean, shoot, Mike Tyson is still fighting. Oscar De La Hoya wants to get back in there and fight. Uh, these guys love it so much, they can't step away from it. But there has to be a time where Manny just hangs it up because eventually when you keep on climbing towards the sun, you're going to get burned. Yeah, we saw it with Ben Hopkins against Joe Smith Jr. and Sergei Kovalev. The younger guys, you know, they don't have to be all-time greats. Will eventually get to you. Go out on top. Go out with the the winner with Thurman. Um, go be a hero at home. Go and you know, be the Filipino president. It's what he wants to do eventually. So go chase that dream rather than dreams in the ring. The Asian Boxing Podcast. One more story to get to, Scott. A, a big, big, massive women's boxing title fight, unification fight. Terry Harper is fighting in England, but she's going up against someone who has possibly one of the great nicknames in boxing today. The Defector Girl Boxer, Yunmi Choi, who I genuinely think they should make a uh, sort of biopic about Choi. Her life, her career is amazing. Um, We can joke about boxing and we can joke about fighters and we can joke about this, but her life is genuinely one of the most interesting. She was scouted as a child by the North Korean government who wanted to send her to the Beijing Olympics. Um, at the time, Beijing Olympics was expected to be the first to have women's boxing. That fell apart and she ran off with her family to South Korea where she's made a, made a name of herself as a genuinely world-class boxer. She won a world title on debut. She's been a world champion since 2008. And uh, yeah, seriously, she should make a movie on this woman's life um, unfortunately, I don't know if she's going to have the tools to deal with half of that. Um, foreigners in Britain have not had the best of luck with judges, and Harper herself is a very, very, very good fighter. Really cool story, though, right? I mean, defecting from North Korea, already probably the toughest thing you had to do in your life, and you do it at an early age, getting into the ring and um, winning a title in your first fight and then just defending it, and now... Uh, unifying it against a uh, tough Terry Harper. That should be a good bout. It should be a really, really good bout. Yeah, the women match up really well. Um, I think Choi underperformed in a US debut last December when she fought Calista Silgado. We didn't really see what Choi could do there. Um, she won, but she didn't look herself. I think she's too busy trying to impress. I think we'll see a more natural performance against Harper. But Harper looked really, really good last time out against Katia um, Ganderas. Uh, sorry, Thunderers. Um, she's younger. She's got home advantage. She's in the form of her life. I think Harper will be too much, but it should be a really good fight. Crazy show this week, Scott. I mean, we have women's boxing. We have a defector from North Korea. 
We have drugs, rock and roll, crazy tattoo, Kazuto Ioka, and Manny Pacquiao just let him go off into the sunset. Fun show here on the Asian Boxing Podcast. Just a, a an amazing, amazing week for Asian boxing. Uh, if you love it, you know where to go. It's asianboxing.info. Scott does a phenomenal job, not only with the news that he puts out, but with the videos, you know, you can go back and watch all these different fights. Uh, you can listen to this podcast here. Uh, if you love Asian boxing, please go to the website and uh, follow us on Asian boxing at Asian boxing on the Twitter. Scott, Scott's, he's a Twitter guy. He knows how to tweet. I can't tweet. I'm horrible at tweeting. I'm an Instagram guy. Oh, you're an Instagram guy. Or I am. Oh, yeah, I'm more of an Instagram guy. You're right. I, that's just the younger generation. You know, we like the uh, the Instagram. We like the TikTok. It's been the Asian Boxing Podcast with Scott and Colin, and we will talk to you next week.